you know, my take on this quarter century lens, which is truly, truly appalling, um, is that the, the, the technology is different and the scope of what we can do is different. And some of the problems that we're solving are sort of different, but what's underlying it hasn't really changed. The amount of forward-looking an organization is, um, there's not a ton of consistency, like as it relates to, I mean, we've seen incredibly conservative, like fast growing startups, right? Like organizations that are, you know, venture backed, like pushing the envelope and they're producing PDF. And then we've seen really forward thinking, like industrial manufacturers that have been around for like a hundred years, right? It really is about the people who are there and how they're thinking about it. Um, and you know what it is that <clears throat> they've been chartered with trying to accomplish. Um, and then, you know, one of the things that, that struck me as you were, um, as you were, as you were talking through this is, you know, kind of how the, this undercurrent that's been happening in the industry over the last 25 years, um, in the content industry in general. So like go back 25 years and the prevailing thought process, or maybe I wasn't in the content industry 25 years ago. So we'll go back to, I'm, I'm going to extrapolate, I'm going to extrapolate. Right. So I'm going to say roughly in that time frame. but you go back and you say, at that point in time, marketing content was used and is, is a value driver. Techno content isn't used. Nobody reads the manual and it's just a, uh, a checkbox, right? Like that's more or less the philosophy. Like I would say like broadly, would you agree with that or no? Um, it, I mean, if we're going to say that, is that the sort of the cliche, then yes, is it actually the truth on the ground? Probably not. No, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the true, the true truth on the ground, but it is, but it is part of the culture, right? Yep. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many, like when I first started going to tech, tech com conferences, everybody was like, nobody reads the manual. And I'd be like, then why are you guys here? Like, (laughs) like the thing is like, everybody just thought their job was a checkbox. Right. And that, that came from that went up and it came from coming down. Right. There was just that overall philosophy. I remember somebody coming up to me at a conference and saying that they had gotten a new CEO and he had made sunglasses that said no PS, no docs, like, and one, like one lens said no PS, no professional services. And the other one said no docs. And then they talked to me, like the, the end of the story actually was from a tech con perspective, a happy story because, um, they basically stopped writing docs and it created like all of these customer problems because they realized people were in fact reading them and they did in mm-hmm. fact need them and they changed that and they threw out the sunglasses and there was this whole big thing. But the point is that like that was part of the culture. It was part of the general philosophy of how these things worked. So, but the thing that's very interesting that's been happening over the last, I'll call it five years is that one, the line between what's marketing content and what's, you know, and I like to call it knowledge content because like it's, I think calling it like documentation just doesn't really work anymore because you have so many other things that go into it. Um, where the line is, has gotten really blurry. Like it's not, I mean, you go into like our doc site, right? And there's guides on there on how to use our system. And we know that people show up and they're like, oh, I'm looking to do this before they, before they even have an account, right? We know that that's a, an aspect of like marketing content. And those things also become white papers that we produce and we provide to our, our salespeople to convince people that you can do this thing, right? Um, so the line is blurred. 
but also that whole like nobody reads the docs. I haven't heard that in a couple of years now. Like I don't hear that anymore because people realize that when you produce good knowledge materials, not only do people read them, but they're a differentiator. And that shift in this marketplace is it's, it's a tectonic fundamental shift. And we haven't seen the, um, the actual impact of that shift yet. It's still coming. Like it's worse. We've seen some of it, but it's, it's massive. Like it's really, it's going to reshape how we all do our jobs and it's going to reshape the entire industry in a really positive way. So I think that, you know, we're talking about the history of content. That's one of my favorite points that just popped into my head as yeah, you're talking. So a couple of things there. I mean, one is that Tim O'Reilly defined technical communication as being uh, information that enables you to use a product. Yeah. But you know what I love so, about that definition? Right. I love that definition. It, it is makes me happy. so boring. Yeah, well, whatever. Like, it's perfect but, but for tech though, point, right? To the boring part, um, when when people say nobody reads the docs, I think what they mean is nobody reads the docs for fun or nobody reads the docs cover to cover. Everybody reads a chunk of the documentation. Like, I'm stuck. I don't know how to do this. I need some help. You go right. in the help or the doc or the whatever, the knowledge base. I don't care. Right. And you look up that one little thing and you go, oh, okay, I get it now. Or, or not, as the case may be, but, and right. you move on. Um, the other, you know, two quick factoid stats that are out there, something like 80% of people that are researching consumer products read technical documentation before they buy. So they're looking yeah. at specs. They're looking at, you know, how does this thing get configured? Can, am I going to be able to figure out how to operate it? They want to kind of see what the experience is going to be like to see if it's compatible with what they're willing to do. And the flip side of that is that somewhere in the vicinity of 20% of product returns are essentially, I can't figure out how to use this product and I'm sending it back. So it's not broken per right. se. I mean, it might be broken, but it's not broken per se. It's just, I couldn't figure out how to use it, which is billions and billions and billions of dollars of stuff getting returned and sales getting undone mm -hmm. because people didn't have a good chunk of enabling content that they could use to get the job done. Right. Well, I mean, content is the only way that you can solve those problems, right? Like there's, there's no other asynchronous way to solve those kinds of product problems. And it is, it is your asynchronous co connection to your customer because like once they bought something, they don't really care about the value benefits. They just care about using it. And in a world right. of repeat so business, either, like that's how you, that's how you win more business. Right. So either you make it crazy obvious at right. the level where they can just figure it out without any particular supporting content or, and you know, and some products you can do that with. Right. Some Not products can have one button, but the thing is like, sure. if, your product needs to do more than one thing. You have to add another button and then, you know, eventually if you're operating, you know, the piece of software that applies, you know, radiation therapy to a patient. I am very, very interested in you getting that right. Yeah. Me on too. the first try. <laughs> yeah. So, for sure. you know, that's a good example where telling people they have to have some training or they have to have some documentation and they actually need to kind of like pre-plan, get trained, get informed is reasonable. If, again, if it's a video game, there's probably an in-game tutorial that teaches you how to slash things and fire arrows and whatever, and that's fine. 
Because if you screw up, you know, your character dies, but we don't care about that because they're not real. Yeah, they're real to somebody. They're they're real-ish, but, you know, you can just start over. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely levels of, so it's, it's funny that you, that you bring up video games because one of our newest customers is a video game company. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't actually know what they're, Jared, are you, you know what I'm talking about? I don't, I'm not sure if we're allowed to say their name, but I don't think we are, but, um, I know who you're talking about. Do you know what they're, they're writing in our software? I don't. Oh, I wish we knew the answer to that. I have no idea what they're creating in our software. It could be anything, but maybe it is saving virtual people from getting slashed or arrowed. Or arrowing better. Oh, arrowing better. That's how you don't get arrowed <laughs> is you arrow better faster. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's no telling, but yeah, I mean, so my, you know, my take on this, this quarter century lens, which is truly, truly appalling, um, is that the, the, the technology is different and the scope of what we can do is different. And some of the problems that we're solving are sort of different, Mm -hmm. but what's underlying it hasn't really changed. And the thing I think that really brings it home is what's underlying it is people and the way they organize themselves and their fear of change in some cases, like going to unknown risks. Right. And I mean, fear isn't, fear is maybe the wrong word. Like, you know, the thing is like, you know, like you said, there should be a a level of fear of getting it wrong for someone who's applying a radiation treatment. Um, but it's like, those are the hurdles. Those are the same things that we've been dealing with. Right. And on tools, there's an interesting pushback. I mean, we've, we've slagged PowerPoint as we should because, you know, PowerPoint, but, but look at it from this point of view. If I'm a person who has built a career on being really good at making things in, Uh, let's yeah. not say PowerPoint, but some other tool, right? Mm-hmm. And I know the ins and outs of that particular tool and how to make it do weird things. And when I get this weird error message, I know how to respond to it and et cetera. And you come to me and say, oh, guess what? You know, we're getting rid of your terrible inferior tool and we're replacing it with this much better thing. And we're going to be able to do all this cool stuff and it's going to be great. Well, okay. But from my point of view, what you actually said is, hey, Sarah, you're 10 or 15 or whatever years of expertise, hard won expertise in using this other tool uh, no longer has any value because we're getting rid of that tool and you have to start over. And so that is a direct threat to me as an employee. Because now, like everybody else, I have zero years of experience with the new tool, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not the person that knows the ins and outs of the old tool that's the resource because that makes me more valuable to the organization and less likely to get laid off. I'm now in the same bucket as everybody else learning the new thing. And that's not a great place to be. The way that you avoid that is you be an expert in processes and standards because they transfer between tools. Don't build your career on a proprietary. Yep. And if I had thought, if I had thought that 10 years ago, That'd be great, but I didn't. So now I have 10 years of tools. Right. I know. But this is for going forward, processes and standards. The uh, This is a foreshadowing, which could have been, what's the opposite of foreshadowing? Backshadowing? I don't think that works. Deja don't build you? your career on someone else's land. Your content home, or in this case, yeah. your career home on someone else's product. Yeah. Ah. Yes. Right. Yeah. What so. I was going to say is, so Sarah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think the risk aversion that we often run into with these content teams 
is less about the organization's level of risk and more about the people involved because of the exact reason you just said. Because in my experience here, some of the companies who have been um, the least risk averse are the ones who are producing materials for people that are going to apply radiation therapy. And they're like, no, we got to get this right. We got to deliver this stuff well, and we need the thing that does it well and efficiently. And so they're willing to do that. And the teams that have been sometimes the slowest to move or adopt are the ones that you can just, the fear is palpable of I'm losing my expertise if we take this thing on. And so I think that risk aversion often is the case because content teams, you know, feel like they take a back seat. And if now they can't do their thing, at least as well as they've been doing immediately, then, then their career existence is threatened. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's a tough place to be. It's, it's a tough place to be. And one of the things we tell, you know, the executives is it is not fair to switch tools and expect people to be more productive on day one, right? You need to build in some time for them to ramp up yep. and get trained and, and get that expertise and all the rest of it. And preferably outside of, oh, and by the way, you also have a release next week, right? Yeah. Uh, we pay a lot of attention to how the uh, the rollout is entrained. So, you know, you've got release deadline here and here. So let's put the product change, right? The content management system change in the middle here, or maybe right after the release or maybe two weeks after the release so that everybody can take a vacation. But you really want to pay attention to how that's organized because um, <laughs> it will send a message. Uh, it may not be the message you want to send or you intend to send, but if you put it on top of all the regular work and don't give people any leeway in learning and uh, being less productive as they, you know, flounder through stuff as you do when you're new, uh, they will hate you and the tool and the process and generally everything. And then they'll quit. <laughs> generally everything. Is that the place? Is that the place to end? <laughs> on that cheery note? <laughs> Yeah, I think it is. Uh, your worst case scenario is not that they quit. Your worst case scenario is that they're angry and they stay. Ooh. Truth bomb right yeah. at the end there. That's fair. It was a good one. Content rules, but it can be a lot. I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of these topics are connected, but our short podcast episodes barely scratch the surface. Have no fear, because in the description, we have links to videos, blog posts, and other information that help shine some light on some of the more intense, murky topics. In no time, you're going to have a little bit better idea about structured content and enterprise content strategy. Hope you enjoy.